welcome to the Business Bookshelf podcast, where I interview business authors and talk about their newly released books. Today, I interview Mark Hirschberg about his book, The Career Toolkit. Mark is a seasoned executive and cybersecurity expert who can bridge the divide between business and technology. He has started, grown, and fixed startup companies spanning 10 different verticals, as well as helped two Fortune 500 companies with their internal startup initiatives. He helped to start the Undergraduate Practice Opportunities Program, dubbed MIT's Career Success Accelerator, where he teaches annually. Mark is the author of the book, The Career Toolkit, Networking, Negotiating, Communicating, Leading, Career Planning, All Skills Critical to Your Career Success. But did anyone ever teach you these skills? The Career Toolkit will help you master these vital skills and yield outsized returns for your career and your income. Every chapter is packed with dozens of actionable principles, exercises, and practices that will accelerate your success. It's a multivitamin for your career. So enjoy the interview. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here today. It's fantastic. And thank you for reaching out to me. And I really enjoyed reading your book. So thank you for that. Um, Mark, where am I speaking to you today from today? I live in New York City. Do you live outside? I, I had an interview um, a couple of weeks ago with someone who lives inside New York City in Manhattan. So where do you live around New York? Oh, I'm right in midtown Manhattan, right in the heart of it. Wow, as well. And, and so do you, do you live on like the 17th floor of a skyscraper? Whereabouts are you? Not quite 17th, but I, I am up the Deluxe apartment in the sky, so to speak. Wow. And what is attractive about living in New York? Why, why do you do it? Is it? Was it close to your work or close to other work? Or what, what brought you to New York? It has a lot going on for it. I can walk out my door. There are restaurants. There are Broadway shows. There's activities. Everything is right here, including the people who I like to spend time with. So it's a wonderful place to be when you've got a time to really spend to get out and do the things that the city has to offer. Mm, I've been to New York City before, wonderful place. Um, And so are you getting out now? Are the shows opening? I see Bruce Springsteen's going to have a show there soon. Uh, Are you going out to shows? Are they open? They're just starting to open up again in the next couple of weeks, um, seeing shows come back. And maybe later this year, I'll start getting out to them. Yeah, no, that'd be fantastic. The shows there are incredible. Um, so, Mark, could you give us an overview of your career and, and you know, what have you been doing and what are you doing to date? I started my career when I graduated from MIT. I was a software engineer during the dot-com era. And throughout my career, I've, as you noted, I've been a CTO. I've built all sorts of companies in different verticals, lots of cybersecurity security, some media and ad tech. I've built labor marketplaces, done all sorts of different, really fun and exciting things. And I've even, even though I have the CTO title, I've also run data science and product. I've run HR, I've run marketing at some of these companies. So the great thing about startups is I've had a really wide set of experiences. Now, early in my career, I realized that if I wanted to become a CTO, it wasn't simply about being the best engineer. It wasn't simply about writing really good code. In fact, to be a CTO, more important than writing good code is that I have these other skills, leadership, communication, team building, negotiation, all these skills, but no one ever taught them to me. Mm. So I had to go out and develop them in myself. 
And as I was doing this, I realized these skills aren't just for executives. They're for everyone. All of us from our first day right out of school can benefit from leadership skills, from negotiation skills. So I began to train up people on my team. Shortly after, MIT had gotten similar types of feedback. Corporate America was saying to MIT, look, your students, obviously they're smart, but the skills we're looking for, and not just for MIT students, this is universal across all colleges, across all experience levels. Corporate America said, the skills we wanna see are leadership, communication, teamwork, all these great skills that the universities don't teach. So MIT wanted to start a program to address this. I heard about this and reached out and said, you know, I've been working on this with my own company and I've got some material. I'm happy to help. So MIT said, yes, please help us develop this class. Wow. And then they said, you know what? We've got these great professors. They're really smart, but they're not practitioners. It'd be great if we could get you and some folks like you to come help teach the class. And so that's what I've been doing for the past 20 years, in addition to my primary uh, CTO and startup work. Yeah, that's fantastic. And were you living in Boston at the time? I was living in Boston for most of this time. I moved to New York about uh, 15 years ago, I think. Hmm. And so I was a little more engaged when I was in Boston and can pop over for an evening activity. Now I go up for certain uh, parts of the program. I'm not as involved in all the parts, but for some of the key parts, I always go up for it. Hmm. Fantastic. So that leads to the book um, and congratulations on your book. I really enjoyed it as well, called The Career Toolkit. Um, and so do, over the years, the 20 years that you were working with MIT, did you start thinking of putting a book together? And then why did you eventually do that? Like, it's quite hard work um, putting a book together. I never really thought of writing a book like this. I did write a different book 20 years ago that I ultimately never published. I might come back to it. But what I realized is our students, they take the class. And then if you're a college student and you're anything like I was, you forget everything as soon as the class is over. Of course. I thought, you know, we, we want to write up notes, just something so they have some information. It's a very hands-on interactive class. So they're not doing a lot of note taking. Let me just write up some notes for them. And I've also encouraged MIT over the years, we want to share this program with other schools. MIT led the way in online free courseware, putting our content online. Mm. I've said, you know, let's do the same thing with this class so other universities can do it. Unfortunately, we just haven't had the time and resources to do that. So I thought, I'm going to write up some notes for the class. I'll share it with the class. I'll share it online. And I thought I was writing about 20 pages of notes. But <laughs> 20 pages quickly grew, became 40, then 80, and... Well, eventually, once it got over 100, I thought, maybe these aren't notes, maybe this is a book. And that's how the book uh, came to life. Wow. And I think it's essential reading for everyone. I mean, even I, as a 50-year-old guy, I'm uh, going through, like I'll, I'll share later on, um, you know, different aspects of your book now, even at 50. But let's, we can't go through your whole book, obviously, and people need to buy it. So it's called The Career Toolkit. And maybe we can just dive into a few areas of it, starting with developing a career plan. Now, I know when I started just out of school, um, I didn't know what I was doing. And so, you know, I went for a course and then I jumped into the IT world after that because it's quite daunting. You actually have no idea. But so can you give us some rough guidance to someone who's listening who maybe passes it on to their children? Um, how do you go about developing a career plan? 
you begin by asking yourself a series of questions. These questions are in the book. They're also available as a free download on the website. Mm. And these are questions like, what's important to you in life? Do you want to make lots of money? Do you want certain types of challenges? Are there industries you want to work in? Are there places you want to live? Are there certain lifestyles or job styles you might want? Some people want a very structured job. I want to be there nine to five. And then when I leave, not have to worry about it. Other people say, I don't want to be chained to a desk. I don't want to have to show up at a certain time. I want more flexibility. And so you start asking these questions. There's no right or wrong answers. But as you think about these answers now and what they might be in the future, maybe money doesn't matter when you're 23. It probably matters when you're 43 and have a yeah. family. So these answers might change over time. As you begin to answer these questions, that's going to help guide you towards certain jobs that might be of interest, that might match what you want to get out of your career. Absolutely. And you say in the book that, you know, that the initial jobs obviously don't pay you much. And then you get to, what did you say, the, the top 5% or 10% or, you know, later on in your career, that's when you eventually start making money. So you have, you have to realize that you put a lot of grind in to get to the point where you're actually going to be established and making money. That, that's right, isn't it? Well, it will vary a bit by career. Mm. So if you think about doctors, if you're a doctor, you're spending four years in college and then four more years in med school. Then as a resident, you're making extremely little money. You've been working so hard in college and grad school. As a resident, you're working very long shifts. You have lots of work and no money. But then at a certain point, once you complete residency, all of a sudden, now you jump up literally 10x even more when you become a doctor mm. and you make a lot more money. Now, that's a career path that has certain delayed compensation. You might not be making significant money until your 30s. Your friends who went off and joined some big tech company at 22 are making lots of money, living a great lifestyle, and you're thinking, I'm working more and earning less, but that's going to flip later in life that may or may not be okay with you. So you have to decide if that's gonna be right. If you become a teacher, at least here in the US, you are not choosing a job that's going to be paying very well, but you get other benefits from it that might be more important to you than money. Mm. And, and then I found for my career, particularly when I started out, I was a developer. And then I, I realized that actually I probably didn't have the, you know, the maybe even the mental capability to program in those days and at least to focus for long periods of time and get things 100% correct. Um, and so then I went into like sales side from a technical point of view and now I'm in sales directly. And so I suppose it's, it's good to realize that your career is going to change and you're going to learn your strengths and your weaknesses over time. And then a career is going to take lots of twists and turns as you go along this career plan. Absolutely. And this is one of the reasons it's very important to constantly update your plan. A lot of people hear, well, how do you plan for 20 years? You know, you can't predict everything. Of course not. We know in our office projects at work, if you have a project that's going to be six months or a year, you're not going to get that perfectly right. And that's why we have these checkpoints, right? Okay, we've been working on this for a month or a quarter. How are we doing? Oh, we're behind over here but we're ahead over here. Here's a new risk we didn't think about. And sometimes, of course, as we're doing this, the CEO says, oh, listen, everyone, I know we're, we're trying to aim towards this goal at this time, but something happened in the market. We have to shift where we're trying to go. 
right? So our plans will change in the corporate world. Same thing in our careers. So what you want to do is at least once a year, sit down, spend even just an hour or two and think, are these still the goals that I want? Mm. Where I'm trying to get to that job in three years, eight years, 15 years, whatever you're looking forward to, is that still the job that you want? Has money become more or less important where you want to live? Maybe now you're married and your spouse says, we can't keep living in the city. We have to go to this other place. Okay. That's going to impact your job. So you want to do this adjustment. Think, are your goals still accurate? If not adjust them. And then as your goals change, what does that mean to the actual plan? The steps that you create to get to those goals, you need to adjust that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, Mark, we're going to go on to the next area of your book or in another area of your book called having a mentor. And I've often read, you know, obviously that that's really important and it can guide you and help you along your career that you've chosen. Um, but I personally have never had a mentor and I don't know how to pick one. Even at 50, I should probably have a mentor. <laughs> So would you encourage someone to find a mentor and maybe more importantly, who, who should you choose? And, you know, because it's almost like dating in a way, someone has to invest time in you and you have to invest time in them. So it needs to be a special person that you ask to be a mentor. All of us can benefit from mentors at any age. Yeah. And you don't have to have a mentor who's necessarily older than you. It's just someone who has more knowledge or experience in an area in which you want to develop. What you wanna do is find such a person. They say, oh, that person, she's got this knowledge or experience. She's got something and I can learn from her. So you find the person, then you need to make sure the person's interested in being your mentor. I know some people like to just reach out cold and say, hi, stranger on the internet, you're impressive. Will you please mentor me? And some people who don't have much going on might say, oh, that's, that's wonderful. But usually the, the more successful people who we want as mentors, well, they're busy and they don't have time to spend mm. with a stranger. So it's probably someone you've met. Or if you don't know this person, maybe you can find a way to meet this person, go to an event that this person might be at or find a mutual connection. And once you've met that person, see if you do have a good relationship, at least initially, and then as you get to know her, reach out and say, you know, I could really use you as a mentor and set the expectations. What does that mean? Some people are thinking, oh, this means I'm going to call you anytime I have a problem day or night. Yeah. For others, it's we're going to get together and have coffee every other month, right? Make sure you're clear on what these expectations are and make it clear that what you're trying to get out of this relationship. Remember as well, mentoring is a two-way street. If you're just taking, if you're saying, you mentor, give me, give me, give me, because this is what I need, <laughs> yeah. that's not great for the mentor. So find a way to give back and help your mentor as well. And, and so you mentioned every other month. So can it be as little as that? Or should it be once a month or every two weeks? How often would you say you should meet your mentor? Is it really up to you know, the mentor and your relationship? It really is. And it okay. depends on your, the dynamic, the time availability of each of you, but also the need. If you are younger, it might be you want to meet with someone a little more often. If you're, say, 22, 23, just out of school, you probably have a lot more questions. If you're 40 and maybe you just became an executive for the first time, you might just need a little bit of guidance, but you've been leading people for a while. You generally know what to do. It's just occasionally a little extra guidance can help. 
So it really depends on the needs of the people. Mm, absolutely. And now another really, really important tool to have um, is networking. And I've got progressively better at that, as you can imagine, <laughs> over the years. But when I started out, you know, just after um, you know, school and, and entering the job market, my networking was atrocious. Um, so maybe, and also, it's a whole new world today. Like in, you know, two years ago, you could go to events, you could go to different meetups, all those kind of things to network, and now it's not as easy. So maybe... Could you give us some pointers on how to network effectively and maybe network effectively today? Most people confuse networking with adding people to their address book. Mm. Saying that you've added someone on LinkedIn and this person is now in your network is like saying you went on dating app and swiped right and this person's now your significant other. We know that's not the case, right? You don't say, oh, look, I swipe right, she swipe right, great. This is my girlfriend now. <laughs> yeah. What happens? You've expressed mutual interest, but now you have to build the relationship, right? Mm -hmm. Now you would, in that case, start dating. With our professional relationships, the same thing. You meet someone, you exchange business cards, you connect on LinkedIn, but you have to build the relationship. And this is the key thing to remember about networking. It's not about adding as many people as you can. It's about building those relationships. So for everyone you meet, focus on building that relationship. Some people, it might be a really deep long-term relationship, like your close friends. Others, it might be more casual, like your acquaintances. But you're going to build relationships in business just like you do in life. Because it's the people with whom you have relationships, those are the people you can call on, not someone you met once for five minutes three years ago. That person's not likely to open a door for you or do you a favor. So yeah. focus on the relationship building aspect and you're going to create a much more valuable network. And I like how in your book you say that if you're at a networking event and hopefully the world gets back to that one day and you see someone you know, who is just looking in from the outside, I think you said in your book that you should invite them in. You should be generous and <laughs> invite the stranger into your group. Um, and there are also, you know, ways that you can break into this group because that's the worst thing about these networking events is how you actually get someone's attention. Can you give us any advice on that when the world gets back to inverted commas normal? We've all been there. You yeah. maybe got out late to the networking break at the conference and everyone's in these little circles. You're going, oh, great. What do I do? It's hard to break <laughs> in. We've all been both sides of that. We've been in the circles. We've been that outsider remembering that seeing the outsider, when you invite that person and say, hey, why don't you come join us? Right? You just did a huge favor for that person, right? Because this person's yeah. awkwardly standing there. That person now, their first impression of you is a warm, positive one. And this person might be a wonderful future connection of yours. There was a really interesting tip. And fortunately, I'm forgetting where this came from. I have in my notes. They said, think of croissants, not bagels. Instead of standing in a circle, like a bagel with the hole in the middle, think of yourself, think of your group as a croissant, right? As a semicircle. So it's always open. So it's always easy for someone to walk up and approach and join that croissant, join that mm. semicircle. I think that's a really brilliant idea. Well, hopefully that happens more. Maybe if a couple of people listening to this interview can do that, that'll make the world a happier place. <laughs> um, and now on so. to the interview and the job. So that's obviously very, very important. 
And, and it's something that you're going to do your whole entire life. You know, you're probably not going to have a job for the next 20, 30, 40 years and retire. Um, you're probably going to go through interview after interview after interview. And I think it's, you know, as, you know, like everything, it's something that you can learn, you can you know, perfect and, and get really good at. So can you tell us any advice? Can you give us any advice on interview, how to interview, how to get hired, and some advice on the thought process a job applicant should have? Yeah, I'll start with just two really core pieces of advice. Now, one thing I do in my book, the interview chapter is broken into two parts mm. from the candidate side and from the interviewer side. And this is remarkably ironic when you think about it. when I have spoken to people, even executives of major companies you would have heard of, and I've asked them, have you had any interview training? They say, no, mm. of course not. When would I get that? Right? But for most of us, when we are white collar workers, part of our job is to interview other candidates. And certainly as you become a more senior person, a leader, you need to interview lots of people. We say people are our most important asset, finding the right people so important, but we have put zero training into how someone can effectively interview. Mm. So everyone should spend some time learning how to be an interviewer, how to be on the hiring side of the desk. And when you do so, when you watch it from that side, even if you're just a fly on the wall, even if you say to your boss, listen, can I just sit in on a few interviews? You're going to get such a different perspective. You're going to learn so much more about interviewing by watching other candidates. What do they do well? What do they do poorly? How can I do those things better or not worse, depending on the quality, in my own interviewing skill? So all of us should spend time learning to be a better interviewer. Now, from the candidate side, most people show up and I think, well, this is who I am. And I just need to say, you know, here's what I do. I'll run you through my resume. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> you need to hire me. I'm the one for you. <laughs> yes. Well, they, and they, they think, right, just tell them all the great things I've done. And hopefully I've blasted them with enough good things that they'll want me. And that's taking that square peg that you are and shoving you into that round hole and hopefully it's enough of a fit. Mm. What you wanna do is think about from the hiring manager's perspective, you have this round hole, what do they care about? What things in your background are most relevant to this role and not just, well, I did this awesome job at this other company that really has nothing to do with what I do here. If for example, you said, oh, I saved money. I, I helped reduce the budget of my department by 5% saved money. But if this is some high growth tech startup, they're less worried about saving 5%. They want to hear about how you doubled the team size in six months, or they want to hear how you got the product out sooner. They're less concerned about cost control or vice versa. So think about for this particular company, what is important to them? And a lot of that, unfortunately, it means reading between the lines. This is not going to be in the job description. Once you start understanding their needs, whether it's particular goals for the role or attributes like leadership or teamwork that are important in this particular job or department, you want to emphasize those skills. So even if you're that square peg, you want to make yourself look as round as possible to fit that role. And how often should you follow up with someone? So you've been for the interview and now you're waiting. Um, you know, should you, should you follow up or should you just wait for the person, the company to get back to you? I'd give it about two weeks. Two weeks. Recognize two weeks. that 
companies will, will generally have lots of candidates. Companies also get busy. This is a common question. I applied to a job or I interviewed and they haven't heard from the company. Here's what often happens, especially at the companies I'm part of. I do a lot of earlier stage companies. There's a lot more volatility. Say, oh, we have this role. Okay, let's go post the role, start getting resumes. Oh, you know what? We have a shift in priorities, a shift in projects. We have a new partnership that's really critical, or we just lost a major customer. Do I still want to hire for this role? Well, let me see what happens over the next couple of weeks. So I might put that role on hold. Nothing to do with any of the candidates. And this can happen at any point after I get the resumes, after I interviewed a few people. So don't take it personally if you haven't heard back, but certainly if it's been two weeks or more, it's reasonable to just reach back out and say, I just want to check in on the status and where things are. I, I remember driving on holiday and I just thought I would you know, follow up uh, on this particular, I was waiting for the offer. And uh, I, as I was driving, I had a telephone call in the, uh, you know, on the trip saying that they were restructuring, they were looking at their different options and they were going to put the position on hold for a couple of months. <laughs> it's like a disaster. Um, and so, Mark, if you, once you've done all, all the interviewing and you've been through the 27 interviews and you've done the presentation and whatever else, the hoops they make you jump through, then they get down to, say, discussing your salary. And you mentioned in the book that, you know, if you can get a bit more, because the company is obviously wanting to pay you as little as possible. And so if you can get like $1,000 a year, I think you mentioned, then over the span of 25 years, then that, that turns out to be a lot. But in my, what I've been, my experience is that they ask you this dreaded question. That they say, how much were you earning at your, at your current, how much are you earning at your current job? Because what they want to do is just take your salary and add 10% on, and then that hopefully that'll entice you across, even though that same position could be double your salary. So how, how do you get away from not revealing how much you're currently earning without sounding confrontational? Yeah, let me uh, go back to the analogy that you were mentioning, then we'll talk about how to do that. Yeah. In the book, I give the example, if you're sitting there waiting for a $70,000 a year job and you go and negotiate and you get 71,000, right? So a thousand dollars more, that's not a huge lift. If you sit in that job, the next 30 years of your career, you do nothing else. You just earned a thousand dollars more for 30 years. You just earned $30,000 more from one single five minute negotiation. But of course, you're not going to stay in this job for 30 years. You'll have other jobs. You'll have other promotions. You'll have other opportunities for raises. So if you just learn to network, not about being the world's greatest network, excuse me, negotiate. It's not about being the world's greatest negotiator. But if you learn to negotiate just a little bit better, you can add tens of thousands, even hundreds of thousands of dollars to your lifetime earnings. When you think about it this way, you are doing yourself such a disservice if you don't even read a single book on negotiations or take a single class. All of us should invest in our negotiating skills. Mm -hmm. Now, you brought up a very common point that they say, what do you make at your last job? They say, oh, great. We'll pay you that plus X. Yeah. Small raise, small percentage more. And this particularly here in the U.S., where we know there are certain classes such as women who are typically underpaid, this continues to hurt them. Because if a man and woman come out of school and he makes 60 and she makes 55 and every subsequent job, 
they get a 10% raise. He keeps getting bigger and bigger raises, increasing that gap. It's for this reason that in certain states in the US, they've actually made it illegal to ask that question. Ah. Now, what, what I've done in the past, in my jobs, I put in my contract a confidentiality clause. And in that clause, it says it is, it, we both agree, both parties, the company and myself, agree that we cannot reveal my compensation to third parties other than the standard disclaimers, their accountants, lawyers, you know, necessary third parties. Most companies are fine with this. If they aren't, I'd even make it one way. I, I'd even say, okay, you know what? I'm just going to put this in the contract that I can. <laughs> yeah. The reason I do this this is a very old military strategy. Mm. This comes back all the way from Sun Tzu. Sun Tzu said, when you go to the enemy's shores, burn your boats, because at this point, your army knows right, you're either fighting and winning or you're dying, right? There's no turning back. You have eliminated that option for your army. Uh. You've eliminated the ability for the army to leave. When I put this clause in my contract and they say, what do you make at your last job? My answer is, I can't tell you. That's brilliant. I have, I have a clause that prevents me. I'd love to tell you, but I can't. And if well, they push, well, you're not, you're not asking me to violate a contract, are you? I, I think people should say that even if it, they don't have a clause in their contract. It sounds brilliant. That's, that's excellent. I've never heard of that before. That's, Mark, that's really brilliant. I, I thank you for that. That's and awesome. Only once did they ever ask to see it. I said, sure, I will give you a redacted contract. I'll cross out, you know, black out what the number is, but I'll show you the rest of the contract that says, here's the part where I can't say it. <laughs> that is awesome. Thank you, Mark. Just to remind the listeners that we're speaking to Mark Hirschberg on his great book, The Career Toolkit. And so we've been speaking about career plans, about interviewing, about communication, uh, not about communication, actually, about networking, and also, you know, around negotiating a job offer. So, Mark, what are you doing for the rest of 2021? Uh, halfway through the year, you're marketing your book like crazy. What does the rest of the book, uh, uh, rest of the year look like for you? I'll continue to market my book. I've been going on hundreds of podcasts. Mm -hmm. Now that the world is opening up, I'm going to be doing more in-person events, both book events, and I've been uh, engaged to do certain public speaking at different events. So I'm looking forward to that and actually seeing people in person. I've also, in my own career, I wound up stepping back and doing fractional CTO work, becoming a consultant to give me time to market the book. I'm probably going to look to shift back to joining one company and focusing on growing that business later this year. And then I have with the book, there's an app that goes with my book. I've built a general version of this. So the app helps you retain information. The app has a lot of the great tips from the book. And it pops up one of these tips each day. So as you read the book, wow. it helps remind you about it to reinforce it. Or if, say, you're about to go into negotiation, you open up the app and go, quick, what were those tips? And you get that refresher. So I built that for my book, but I've built it as a general purpose app, as a white label app, so other authors can use this to promote their books and help their readers retain the information better. So I'll be looking to launch that probably later this year as well. That is awesome. And I, I forgot to mention that your website is thecareertoolkit.com. So the career toolkit book.com. Oh, sorry. The career toolkit book.com. I'll have the link in the show notes. And there you can, you know, the app is on the right hand side next to buy a book, and you've got resources and media 
a synopsis of the book and you say you can download um, sections of the book here as well? If you go to the website, thecareertoolkitbook.com, yeah. not only can you learn more about the book, including where to buy it or get in touch with me or follow me on social media, there is the app page you mentioned, and that will take you right to the Apple or Android store so you can download the free app. If you go to the resources page, on that page, there's a whole bunch of free resources and links. So you can download that list of questions that we spoke about. You can download a great free resource to help you create a peer learning group within your organization. That's going to help you develop these skills much faster. It's completely free. There's links to other services online. I generally try to link to free ones. And then of course, I list a whole bunch of other books, those I reference in mine, or just other books that have helped me along my career journey for those who want to go deeper on a particular topic. And all of that can be found on the website, thecareertoolkitbook.com. Yeah, uh, the resource page is really vast. And you can, as you said, the, the career toolkit hiring sheet, and then Myers-Briggs personality tests and well, all sorts of things. So really, really impressive list of resources here. Really fantastic. Um, so Mark, thank you so much for joining. Really, really appreciate you. Thank you for all that you're doing. And I hope a lot of people pick up the career toolkit, uh, if not for them, for, for their children. I know that my two daughters are going to read it one day for sure. So thank you very, very much for, for coming on to the show. I really appreciate your time today. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure to be here. And I hope you, the listener, found this as interesting and useful as I did. If you'd like to contact me, then please do. My email is lance at ideastorm.ca.za and the website is www.ideastorm.ca.za or businessbookshelfpodcast.com. So until next time, goodbye, stay well, stay safe. I think we're getting over the COVID thing now. So thank you, Mark. Cheers. Bye-bye.